Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, November 15th, and this is your FT News Briefing. China has lashed out at the European Union, COP26 has wrapped up, and the Brexit drama continues. Unfortunately, the deal that Prime Minister of the UK, Boris Johnson, signed, he now says isn't a very good one, so he'd like to have it reopened. Our EU correspondent, Andy Bounds, unpacks the key sticking point. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. China is unhappy with the European Union at the moment. In an interview with the FT, Beijing's ambassador to the bloc, Zhang Ning, said the EU has thrown up regulatory and trade hurdles to foreign businesses that could damage global supply chains. The EU has been changing its trade practices to bolster its economic self-reliance and to respond to China's trade practices. The Chinese ambassador also criticized a deal between the EU and the U.S. to limit steel and aluminum imports from carbon-intensive producers like China. He said the deal would worsen inflationary pressures. Meanwhile, Chinese President Xi Jinping is set to meet U.S. President Joe Biden today for a virtual summit aimed at salvaging the relationship between the two countries. After two weeks of street protests and speeches from powerful leaders, the COP26 climate conference in Glasgow has wrapped up. The big achievement is an agreement among nearly 200 countries on new rules for cutting greenhouse gas emissions or paying to cut emissions. But this final deal didn't come without some last-minute drama. The FT's climate editor, Amelia Mahasik, joins me now to talk more about this. Hey, Amelia. Hey, Mark. So what was this last-minute drama? Yeah, so um, we had various sort of issues that people were arguing about. But the one sort of most obvious thing that it seems bizarre was never included in any COP agreement was the phasing out of coal or the end of use of coal for power and the end of subsidies for fossil fuel projects. You know, it seemed like things were going pretty well. And then literally in the last few hours of a two-week summit, you had India first saying that it would not support this first-time inclusion of the end of coal in the agreement. And it also had support from China and South Africa. Okay, so last-minute scramble. Um, What was India's reasoning for balking over the phrasing regarding end of coal? Well, as developing nations where, you know, quite honestly, as they pointed out, that a lot of their people don't have power and to hamstring the country uh, in in developing is unfair when other rich countries, wealthy countries like the US and and Europe have already had the benefit of uh, having coal-fired power as part of their prosperity. So that's the reason that they they wanted to include wording that was about a phase down of coal, not a phase out. Now, it seems like a small thing, but for nations, vulnerable nations, small island nations that are already suffering from climate change, they were very unhappy about that. So, Amelia, let's talk about the how. How do countries go about implementing these new rules, especially, you know, the world's biggest carbon emitters? Well, that's the critical question, Mark, is is it doable? Um, the agreement proposes that countries come back in a year's time with what their targets are, how far they've come. One of the technical aspects of the agreement is that they set in place 
a way of measuring, asking countries to be more transparent about how they measure their emissions and what their emissions are. Countries such as Russia are less keen on that. So they'll all have to come back in a year's time and check in. So Amelia, COP has been going on for over a quarter of a century. Where does this COP lie in terms of importance and historical context? So this is my first COP, as it was for many of the businessmen and politicians who were there, I might add. COP veterans tell me that this was a positive COP. And whether it will be seen as a turning point in sort of five or 10 years' time, it's hard to tell. But the last five to six years, really since Paris, there has been very little breakthrough. And the last COP in Madrid was judged a failure as a result. And so hence there was a little bit more excitement about this one. We will only be able to really judge if it succeeds in limiting climate change. And even now, based on the pledges that were made at this COP, we're still on track at the best possible scenario for 1.8 degrees of warming, which is above the 1.5 target for Paris and generally not great. But I'm a believer in humanity's ability to change and to make for improvement personally. So I think I would like to think that without further major catastrophe to force governments and society to change, that this will heighten recognition of the need to do that. Amelia Mahasik is the FT's climate editor. Thanks, Amelia. Thanks, Mark. It's been nearly a year since the UK and the EU reached a dramatic last-minute deal on how the two sides will trade after Brexit. But neither side was ever really happy. And now relations are really sour over post-Brexit trade arrangements for Northern Ireland. To talk more about this, I'm joined by the FT's EU correspondent, Andy Bounds. Hi, Andy. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm doing well. So, Andy, why are we still talking about Brexit? Well, that's a good question. The big problem with Brexit is that the UK wanted to diverge from the European Union. It didn't want to stay in the single market. It didn't want to stay in the customs union. It wanted to be able to set its own rules and make its own trade deals outside the bloc. That's all fine. The problem is that in Ireland, there is Northern Ireland, part of the UK, and the Republic of Ireland, an independent country, which is in the EU. Nobody wants to put a border between those two places. So therefore, they had to find a solution that meant that goods could flow within the UK, but not get into the single market in Ireland uh, without putting customs controls on the actual island. So what happened was Boris Johnson agreed this protocol, which effectively puts a trade border in the Irish Sea. Therefore, goods that are going from Great Britain to Northern Ireland have to be checked. And that's something that a lot of people in Northern Ireland resent, as you can imagine. You know, for example, at one stage, it looked like they wouldn't be able to get their sausages from the rest of Great Britain anymore. Goods such as cheeses and parcels that you want to send, you cannot take your dog without hefty checks and and paying a fee. Boris Johnson says it's unworkable. He's gone back to the EU. The EU has come up with some fixes, and the UK says they don't go far enough. Now, we should mention that the UK's pushback is not entirely surprising. The UK was planning legislation as far back as September of last year to override key parts of the Brexit deal. Now, a year later... They're still fighting over Northern Ireland, and they're kicking around something called Article 16. Andy, what is Article 16? So Article 16 is an article in the protocol. It's part of the deal. And what it says is we can suspend 
some of the checks if we feel they're having a bad impact on society or if trade is being diverted. So if, for example, it's becoming so hard to get stuff from GB to Northern Ireland that all the shops in Northern Ireland start looking to get stuff from Ireland instead. I mean, Northern Ireland is effectively part of the EU single market for goods. So therefore, it's easier for them to get stuff from Ireland itself or even from France than it is to get stuff from GB at the moment. Now, again, this this was a compromise to, to keep the peace in, in Ireland. And a lot of these things were foreseen. And the EU, EU says to the UK, well, you knew this might happen. You know, you knew what you were doing when you're doing it. Boris Johnson claims, I didn't know it was going to be this bad. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go back and I'm going to trigger Article 16, which will allow me to suspend certain parts of these checks. And then it puts the ball in the EU's court as to what they might do in response. Andy, what does this do to the relationship between the EU and the UK? Is it tarnished beyond repair? I think it's really, really tarnished it in the last few months. Uh, I mean, it wasn't great to start with, but there was hope, certainly in Brussels, that there could be cooperation in areas like defense, science. I mean, the UK is supposed to still be part of the EU's science program, which is called Horizon. It's offered to pay into that to be able to participate in it, but the commission is basically blocking that. Because it says, why would we want to admit you to a club when you've already shown bad faith with the deals that you sign? We, we, you know, we, they just don't trust the UK's word on anything. And so we've seen, you know, certain uh, movement in the US, which obviously has a great affinity with Ireland. And the president of the commission was over there talking to Joe Biden and people on in Congress, and they, you know, they're not happy with the UK's position either. Andy Bounds is the FT's EU correspondent. Thank you, Andy. No problem. Before we go, broadcasters in the U.S. are competing fiercely for the rights to English Premier League games. Soccer is becoming more popular in the U.S. media landscape. But also right now, more and more Americans are canceling their cable accounts and turning to streaming. And in many cases, sports is basically the one thing that keeps people watching cable, so sports rights are really valuable. Sources told the FT the Premier League rights could end up going for a record $2 billion. That's double what Comcast's NBC paid for Premier League rights back in 2015. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. 
What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.